I'm Regina Botras and welcome backstage where we talk with theatre makers from actors, directors, writers, theatre heads and beyond. And my guest this evening is Melanie Tate. She's a radio broadcaster, playwright and author. At the age of 20, she wrote The Vegemite Tales, which played in London for over seven years from 2001 to 2007, including two years on the West End. How exciting. And during that time, she was the artistic director of the old Red Lion Theatre. She began a radio career for John Laws before going to the ABC around the country in numerous states and starting this series of storytelling nights called Now Hear This. And she's back to the stage with the Appleton Ladies Potato Race, which played a couple of years ago with director Priscilla Jackman. Now, you may recall we spoke with Priscilla. She and Melanie have worked together on a number of productions, and this is one of them that is returning and touring around the country. So please welcome Melanie Tate. Hi, Regina. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on. Now, you are used to being on the other side of, of the interviewing table. I'm so happy to have you. You've got a woman with so many hats. But let's go back to the beginning, first of all. And I know you're from Robertson in the southern highlands was it a creative household like what was it like for you growing up no not at all actually and I don't have any other creative people in my family my parents are small business people so they had the town pub and then later the town supermarket and then later the town big potato and I wasn't from a family who thought that you could be creative for a living if that makes sense you know like I remember growing up and working in our shop and there was a woman who used to come into the shop who had been like assistant costume designer on play school in 1987 you know something like that and I just thought that was the most fantastic thing and and when Babe was filmed in our town it was just so exciting to talk to the, the animal trainers came over for dinner to our house one day so I I used to really clutch to anybody who had anything to do with entertainment but it wasn't at all part of our world we I mean I didn't ever plan to do it as a career in any way I didn't think it could I didn't know it could be a career let alone think it could be a career you know so when did that happen then? Like, I mean, did you act or anything or yeah. like dance classes? Singing? Yeah, all of that. I did all of that. Like I was, I was really, so I really wanted to do musicals. I always had problems with my weight as a child. So I, I was always kind of wanting to be inside by myself watching videos and things like that. So it was musical theatre that really brightened up my life as a kid. So when I was in high school, I you know, I used to sing and be in musicals and I I had tap dancing lessons at one stage and I thought that I would maybe, you know, I wanted to do that for a living, but I don't think I ever really thought that I could. And really it wasn't until I was living in London and the Vegemite Tales was going to, a, a, you know, professionally that I thought, oh, this is actually a job. You know, you can actually... I can actually do this and not have another job. This can be my job. But, it, you know, it took a really long time. And I think, you know, you alluded in your introduction to how many different things that I've done. And mm. I think that's because it's taken me a really long time to accept that I am a, an artist. Like, I, I see, I even hesitated saying it then. Yeah. It never seemed like a real thing to me. So I, I guess I always had my family and my family still. Still, you know, I I live on my own in an apartment 
that I pay a very, you know, a, a mortgage for that I work really hard for. And my sister was over visiting me the other day and was making jokes about how here I am with this apartment and I've never had a job. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? It's so, it's, I don't know, it's, I find my family a very Protestant work ethic. You know, you go to work nine to five every day. And if you're not doing that, which of course the life of an artist, you don't do that. Different things or you're doing lots of different hours. You know, they've never quite gotten that. And so I don't know whether I have ever fully gotten it to having, you know, been from that that family. I think also as, as a creative, you never really feel quite stable in the same way as a, you know, a nine to five job or something like that. But so was it something about traveling that kind of liberated you? Was it like being in another country? Or yeah. Oh, look, I think so. Whenever I hear that song uh, Made in England by Elton John, I feel like that's me. Like it was the first time I was on my own without my family. Like I was really on my own when I went there. I knew about two people and this was before Facebook and Twitter and all those kinds of places. And really, Regina, I was running away from Australia because I'd, I'd – had a year in drama school and had got an agent when I, you know, and so decided not to go back and finish my degree. And it just hadn't turned out for me very well. Like I thought I would get an agent and I'd just be auditioning and I'd be the lead in this musical or that musical, which is so crazy because, you know, musicals are so prescriptive for what women need to be. And I have never been that woman that you know, I've never been the bell from Beauty and the Beast or mm. anything like that. So I was kind of depressed and planning on going back to university to learn how to be a journalist. And my parents for my 21st birthday said, you can have a party or a ticket overseas for your birthday present. And I picked the ticket overseas and went to London and kind of well, I went to New York first and I went to London to try and get back to New York because I loved New York, but I ended up staying in London. And I really just found, you know, this very happy, exciting life full of all these opportunities and theatres everywhere. And, you know, it's where I really started to, I don't know, it just, I think. Find your feet. Yeah. And tap into what I was interested in and what I loved and, and all that kind of stuff. So during that time you worked as artistic director of the old Red Lion Theatre. What was it like? Like what was theatre like then? Yeah, that theatre still, so we did a production of The Vegemite Tales in it and they just must have really liked me and offered me that job mm-hmm. after that because the the originating artistic director, wonderful guy called Ken McClymont, wanted to leave. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I love, I still love that theatre. That theatre is one of my favourite spaces in the entire world. It's a tiny um, pub theatre at the top of it, at the top of the old Red Lion pub, but it's just beautiful. It's comfortable. It's only 60 seats, but it's, it's not like a lot of pub theatres that are just a bunch of seats that are put into an empty space. This is a beautiful theatre. It's got a beautiful lighting rig, beautiful seats, you know, great backstage. Everything about it is just wonderful. But, you know, in in, um, hindsight, I think I had a wonderful time doing it and I made lots of friends and all that kind of stuff. I was just too young. You know, I was so young to be running a theatre. I didn't didn't know – I I didn't have a great background in theatre at that stage. You know, by the time I went to London, I think – when I had been to London, I had probably only been to the theatre about 10 times all up, you know, and eight of those times would have been at my year at university, you know, like I, 
I, I didn't have a great theatrical dramaturgical knowledge or, or the things that actually I think now are important in an artistic director. Like I would love to have that job now. No. I'd love to. But to be fair though, I think I did a pretty good job with my limited, not resources, but with my limited kind of background Experience, because yeah, yeah. yeah, a lot of the people that worked there have now gone on to some pretty amazing things. Like we did the first few plays from Morgan Lloyd Malcolm, who has gone on to to do, she did a big hit a couple of years ago on the West End called Amelia. And who else? Were, oh, the guys that took over Payne's Plough, James Grieve and uh, George, gosh, I can't remember George's surname. That's terrible. You know, lots of really great people came through there while I was there. And uh, Bill Buckhurst, who who now pretty much directs every big new musical in the West End. I worked with a lot of those people then when they were starting out. So it was, you know, and that's been wonderful over the years too. But it was a, it was a big job for somebody who wasn't, you know, quite equipped for it then, I think. Oh, well, I think they saw something in you. And I think sometimes if we're put up to a challenge, we're surprised by what we can actually manage if people have confidence in us, I think. Yeah, it's funny though, Regina, like all of that pressure at such a young age, I have really ever since, so I I got that job when I was 21 and I left when I was 24 or 25 Mm. and ever since I have just shirked any kind of management responsibility. (laughs) So so if somebody wants me to produce something like a, you know, a theatre show or if somebody wants me to be a manager or, you know, anything like that, I run a mile from it. You know, like I've got no interest in in directing or anything like that anymore. I just want to be a writer who submits plays to people and and that's my job. You were burnt out early. <laughs> it really was by that job. It was just intense. It was really at the uh, on the other hand, you went on to like create this a series based on the, what the now hear this storytelling time, which is a bit it's a bit organizing, it's a bit sort of managing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, you know, it's really funny. I, yeah, totally. And, <laughs> and so many things that I've done, I guess, have been a bit like that. But but I don't, you know, I I worked at the ABC for ten or twelve years, and yeah. I never had any aspirations to go into any management role, even though I did run now hear this. Yeah, of yeah. course, but. Like, I don't ever want to see a budget. I don't ever want to see, I don't ever want to, you know, I remember being on holidays in Greece, you know, the one holiday I took, I think the three or four years that I was at the old Red Lion. And I got a call on, I was on the beach at Kefalonia and I got a call that the lighting rig had gone down in the, in the theater. I'm like, there's nothing I could do about that. And it it just, yeah, no, no, no responsibility. <laughs> I step back from that. So let's talk about the Appleton Ladies Potato Race. So this is based on fact, is it? I saw it come around the first time and I think we had someone come and review it, but, and I recall it, her loving it. And it's back to tour quite broadly, actually, next month at Riverside and then Penrith and Glen Street Theatre and South Australia State Theatre. So yeah, tell us a little bit about it going all over the place but yeah from something that happened well it's it's kind of it's inspired by something that happened in my real life and I think it's a play I've just been writing since I was a little girl living in Robertson every year at the Robertson show there's this thing called the potato race where people put a bag of spuds on their back and they run around the oval and I'm telling you like a thousand people watch it. It's the biggest thing all year. Like it's so huge. And I've been watching this race, you know, since I was a kid. And I kind of have this little dream every now and again that I'd like to go in it. I'm waiting. I was going to say, have you been in it? 
No, I would love, like, but this is how it came about because every year, about three or four months out from the show, I'll check the website and go, wonder if I could get myself in shape by the time, you know, it's mm. on to be able to do it. Anyway, I noticed that the men's race got paid $1,000 for first prize and the women's race got paid 200 yeah. And I just couldn't believe that. Like it was, I think it was 2017 or 2018. It wasn't that long ago. And anyway, so I was talking to my friends about it and we're like, well, I guess we better raise the money. We thought we'd just raise eight $800 between all of our friends. You know, we've all got big Facebook groups and stuff. Yeah. And <clears throat> it ended up just... You know, and, and I thought we'd raise the eight hundred dollars, and I would just become a feminist hero in Robertson for the rest of the time. You know, <laughs> like it would be like, thank you so much for showing up. Yeah, <laughs> Melanie, thank you for going away from our town and then coming back and saving us from ourselves with feminism. Thank you so much. And that's not what happened, Regina. It's not what happened. It is, the town sort of went into a bit of a meltdown. There was a bit of a cultural meltdown, and it was actually like one of the most horrible experiences of my entire life. Like I'm, yeah. it was horrible. And, you know, my mother would ring me crying, telling me to take this stuff down and or from Facebook that she was getting abused in the shop and all this kind of, it was horrible. And I did that. And one of the things, I mean, I took it down because my mum was so upset because we made the money in about half an hour, you know. Mm. And one of the things though that it did do was it really showed me the actual strength of people who fight for things within their community because, you know, you can fight for something on a sort of global scale or on a city scale where you don't know anybody, you know, where you're not walking down the street and having to look in the eye of your enemy. But for people that have to fight for something within the community that they've grown up in, that where they know their enemy, where they went to school with their enemy or that, you know, that kind of thing yeah. is another deal. Like I think of those amazing people like Rodney Croom down in Tasmania who campaigned for 10 years for the rights for gay people, you know, not to be thrown in jail for being gay in Tasmania. And I just think that's so amazing because I fell at the first hurdle, like the first hurdle of my mother saying to me, you know, my mother crying on the phone saying, take it down. I just did it. She said, don't do any more interviews about it because this is horrible. You know, she's crying. And I just did that because I didn't want to upset her. So for it really just taught me lots. So the play came about when a few weeks after this, uh, Priscilla, who you interviewed, of course, a, a few weeks ago, beautifully. Priscilla and I have always worked really close together. I'm a really good ideas person, Regina. Like like you being a radio person, we've always got to have ideas. Yeah. So when Priscilla, and I'm, I've always stayed, even though I wasn't working in theatre, theatre is my absolute, the love of my life. And so, you know, I've always subscribed to the New Yorker and to the stage in London. I always know what's going on right around the world in theatre. So Priscilla would come to me before she had a pitching meeting somewhere and she'd say, oh, I'm going to Ensemble this week. Have you got anything that you think might work for Ensemble? And I'd say, oh, well, there's this, this play that's coming out of New York now or this. Anyway, she was doing her Ensemble pitch and I said, you know, this thing that I did, and she would always keep encouraging me to write something. I was really scared to write something and something about what happened with the potato race, I said to her, I think it'd be a really good play. You know, it's it's got all the stuff in it. It's about feminism, but it's also about class within a rural country town. It's about gentrification, all that kind of stuff. And she pitched it to Ensemble and they loved it and asked me to write two scenes. And then they programmed it the year oh. after. So we had to. <laughs> you had to write it then. Yeah, I had to write it. Priscilla was like the most amazing dramaturg on it. And 
that's how the play came about. I, I love those kind of regional sort of fairs. And I think it's interesting that we do often with the scale of, I don't know, protest or doing something, it feels like it's harder to make any kind of difference because it's so big. But I can see that kind of small town. Did, now, did you... You, did you say that your, your your parents ran the Big Potato? Yeah, my parents own the Big Potato. Own the Big so Potato. Yeah, they own the Big Potato and the friendly grocer that's next door to it. So, so there's this other level of like being around for so long, and also <laughs> the family business. Yeah, all of that. Yeah. And and it's you know the day of the show. I was living in Tasmania at the time, and the day of the show, I of course came home for it because I'd caused all this trouble as if I could not go, you know. And the day of the show, I had people I've known my whole life, my whole life turn their backs on me. And even though I said at the beginning of our conversation that I was, I wanted to, you know, be by myself a lot and watch movies and things like that, that was mostly my choice. I was never really bullied in that town for being fat. I was always somebody who had lots of friends, you know, because it's a really small town. Like, there were only 18 in our class at primary school. So we were all friends and we all stayed friends through high school. We all stayed friends the whole way through. And it was really, really horrible going through that. And, you know, I think that as well, because it's such a small town, for people that still live there, it's scary for them to speak up if they do agree with what I was doing. Mm. You know, it was a really complicated time. But I was at the show uh, last year. At the Robbo show, just before we went into lockdown, actually. Yes, and yes. I remember thinking, watching the race and feeling, so it was it was the third year since the potato race. And I remember thinking, oh, you know, like I didn't feel quite as ashamed as I did the first year or the second year. And I had this feeling, I thought, you know what, this is all going to be fine. In about five years' time, we'll be making a movie of the Appleton Ladies Potato Race and it'll be the best thing that's ever happened. You know, it's sort of, yeah, I, I feel like it's, I mean, it's I don't. bigger I, than the Yeah, town. and I, I work at my parents' shop every Easter and Christmas because, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's really expensive for them to have stuff on and all that and people want to go away. And I've just found uh I'm sort of back to my old standing now. Oh. You know what I mean? Like I don't. I in the first back in the clan. Yeah, back in the fold. Yeah, yeah. And I've got to, like I used to feel really scared about going home, and you know I'm going to a family friend's funeral on Friday in Robbo, and and I'm not at all scared about that. You know, I I I was really scared to go back to Robertson for a long time after that. <laughs> so great. So- You've said that this is like the stage and theatre is the love of your life. Like you've had what I can see is a big kind of bridge between the beginning and now. Was it was all that feeding in? Like you know the stories through now this the ABC work is that all feeding in? Yeah, I, I Regina, I was always writing plays and never finishing them okay. after Tales. I had a real second album syndrome, but I'd also like to like really point out that. No one was interested in me, even though I had a West End hit. Mm-hmm. I had like an like a, an example. I had an artistic director of an Australian theatre company that I I met up with in London when I was still in London, running the Old Red Lion and stuff. Like laugh at me when I said something that he construed meant that I wanted Vegemite Tales on at his theatre, which is not what mm-hmm. I wanted. And he's like, oh, now that that man is still in a real position of power for playwrights in Australia and ran like a whole 
like basically left a generation of women out of the conversation. And I was one of those women. Van Batten was another one of those women. Yeah. You know, a lot I of people that, yeah, that are just now starting to get work on because we were left out. So I, I was so young that I didn't see it as like an institutional patriarchal rubbish thing. What I saw it as, oh, I'm not very good. My stories aren't very interesting. So I'm going to go off and have another career. And throughout this career, Regina, I was always attracted to theatre. I always did um, journalism to do with theatre whenever I could. But I would go to shows. And I remember this one night being at Belvoir. And at the end of the show, they were doing the curtain call. And yeah. you know the curtain call, how they do the claps and they motion up to the bio box. And I just started crying and crying for the rest of the night, remembering what it was like to be part of a theatre company and how much I missed that. So it was always very much part of part of me and this yearning I had, but I had no idea how that – I didn't even try to get back because I didn't think I could get back. I had such yeah. little self-esteem about it, yeah. Do, do you think it's changed now? Yeah, well, look, I, I just I think it's changing. I feel like where I'm really fortunate is that Priscilla mm. went into directing and remembered that I could write plays. I mean, that's and, – and I when, – when Ensemble programmed the Appleton Ladies Potato Race, I – I really thought that was a good place for that play. I felt it was a very safe space. I actually loved the theatre there. You know how I was saying before I loved the old red line, it's intimacy and it's I love the ensemble for those similar reasons. And I kind of felt that if that, I made this sort of psychic deal with myself that if they programmed it, I would leave the ABC and I would do everything I could to try and be a playwright again. You know, I would really and that's what I did. And wow. COVID is the only thing that got us out that along. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And and because when we were workshopping Potato Race, when we were in the rehearsal rooms and then when we were the show was on, I felt that great familiar hit that I that nothing you know, another friend of mine who'd left theatre to go into the ABC was saying to me once that there's this if you're a theatre person and you're a theatre person, you know, in those young formative age like I was from the age of sort of nineteen to twenty four or twenty five it really affects you for the rest of your life if you're not in a, a workplace that's got that camaraderie. Like there's a camaraderie that's unlike any other in a theatre company. You know, it's usually only for three or four months at a time, but it really, you forge such deep, familial, uh, trusting kind of relationships. And I think it's right. Like I sort of didn't feel right again until I was back in that company company sort of place. So, yeah, I, I'm so glad we're coming out of COVID now and, Hopefully I can I can get back to that project of, of writing more plays. Which I hear you are doing. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Is it a musical? I have to say. Well, is the Appleton Ladies is not a musical, is it? No, but it's it's you know, it's funny you should say that because I am developing it as a musical with a composer. Yeah. And because it's I love musicals so much. It's exactly, exactly yeah. yeah. <laughs> actually written very easily like in the form of a musical there's even monologues that really should be songs you know so it's um yeah uh, hopefully it'll be a musical one day but uh, you know the flip side of that is too Regina I just feel like I finish a work and I want to start on the new one like I just I don't want it because Vegemite Tales really taught me like I put a lot of eggs into the Vegemite Tales basket and I really wanted it to be a tv series and then a channel 10 made a tv series that was basically the same story 
so it couldn't be done. You know, like I really learned not to put all my eggs in one basket with with Vegemite tails. So, yeah, we'll just we'll just see what happens with with that <laughs> and with the future. Well, yeah, I've got a show. I had a show called A Broadcast Coup, which was about sexism in radio and um, you know intergenerational kind of sexual harassment, and that was to to go on at a at um, ensemble theatre. Uh, we were in rehearsal for that when lockdown happened. So that was cancelled. And it's due to, I'm pretty sure it's going on next year. That's in a sort of a similar vein, not a similar, it's not quite as sort of Appleton Ladies Potato Race has got a certain amount of charm to it. And this doesn't have the same sort of charm, <laughs> it's a bit more acidic. And mm. I want to do a lot of work on that play this year because the world we're living in is so different from, and, you know, of course we've seen all the stuff at Parliament and, you know, it's just been non-stop. It's really funny. When when we were shut down, I was talking to one of my friends afterwards and he was saying, do you think this your play is going to be relevant after COVID? And I was like, well, I, unfortunately, what? I think it will always be relevant. That's right. <laughs> we're always, yeah. But there was that moment where it was like, is anybody going to care about sexism after we've been through a pandemic? And I guess we've learned in the last few months that, Yes. So that play is meant to be going on next year, but I'm working on something else at the moment that I'm really sort of challenging myself with form and with story. And because I I don't want to just write the same play every year. I really, as like a great lover and student of theatre, I really want to push it where I can. So, and I feel like COVID and being trapped and not being in the theatre has really accentuated the fact that when I put something into the world I want it to be amazing and challenging and funny and all those things so I'm working on something that I'm really excited about at the moment but I don't know where it's going to go you know what it's like as a writer you don't know where it's going to go what it's going to do whether it's going to get up we'll just see we'll just see in the meantime we have other things to see of yours uh, Melanie Tate thank you so much for talking with me Regina it's been such a pleasure thank you for such a great interview that was Melanie Tate radio broadcaster playwright and author and the Appleton ladies potato race as I said will be playing at the Riverside Theatre next month it's touring to Glen Street Theatre to Penrith Theatre down to South Australia and on and around it goes and being hopefully in the future a musical and also as she mentioned her play A Broadcast Coup is set to premiere hopefully next year keep an eye out for that 